Welcome to the Lion's Den with Seth, a podcast where progressive men and women can learn and teach each other the ways of the land. The Lion's Den is where royalty comes to counsel. Ladies and gentlemen, your host, Seth. Yo, 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 what's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Lion's Den. My name is Seth, and I'm just one of your hosts uh, today. But what I want to get into real quick is just tell you, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Right. It's Sunday. You could be anywhere, but you here, which is super duper dope. But we love the fact that you give us an opportunity to give great information, encouragement and different ways to connect with the community. So I want to say from me to you and on behalf of the whole Lions Pride, thank you. Seriously, if it wasn't for you, we would not be here today. OK, but seriously, we want to thank you. All right. I want to thank you. But without all that uh, extra mushy, mushy stuff, we about to get our our, 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 our uh, panel together. Right. What's going on, Larry? Larry, how you feeling, bro? Hey, hey, man. What's going on? Oh, Excited man. about this topic. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You ready for this, man? We're going to be talking I about op- opioids. O- opioids. Yeah, it's going to be a, a mess. What you think? I am. Man. I'm ready to get this insight her, and, you know, and get her purview of how this whole epidemic is you know, how it's going, you know, where we're going, where we're headed and how we, what we can do to get educated. You're right. You're right. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm looking very, very forward to getting this in what's going on, everybody. So look, make sure, make sure y'all share this no matter where you are. If you're watching this on Facebook or you're watching this on YouTube, make sure you share this. And also, also, also download the Lions Pride Network on Roku and Amazon Fire TV. For those of you that can't catch it, you dig live, but make sure you go and download that. We appreciate it. Herm, what's up, bro? Man, trying to get this sharing thing right, man. Bro, man, we've been doing this forever, man. What's going on, bro? It's only one button. What's the problem? Like like y'all, I'm excited about the show, but I got to ask y'all a question before we start. What up? Did y'all see Coming to America 2? No. You ain't watch it? No. Now, my own personal opinion. What's up? The reason why I didn't, and look, y'all can shoot me down if y'all want to. I don't care. You dig? The reason why I didn't is because it's it's like having a lasting memory of someone and you you it's a nostalgic feeling and it's something that you can always go back to if you want to. I don't think coming to America should have been a sequel. You know what I'm saying? It, like in my opinion, like a fairy tale, it was like a happily ever after. Not like, hey, somebody else got a baby. Do do do. Look, you know, but what you think, bro? Go ahead, Larry. Yeah, what you I think, Larry? Yeah, I, 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 I'm, I'm one of the people. Classics <laughs> is classics. Leave classics alone. Don't like, touch I mean, it. I, I get it. It was That's a good feel. I, I kind of fell asleep on the last probably 45 minutes of it. <laughs> it I mean, it, it, I, I don't know, man. I, I just it ain't it ain't the same as the original. I'm yeah. And and then I read somebody say, you know, you shouldn't be looking for the same, and you know, your feelings get hurt you, if you it's not the same. No, I didn't. Man, I, I don't yeah, care. Man, well, go ahead. Go ahead. Speak so, on it. So then. I do believe that you shouldn't be looking for the same. Now, it was going to me. It has been impossible for them to make the movie anywhere near going to touch the first one. You know what I mean? I don't, I don't see how you can do that. You know what I'm saying? Especially when I noticed in the movie, Eddie Murphy and Arsenio Hall's chemistry was off. Then you could tell they ain't been friends in a while. You know what I mean? Um, but I thought the mu- the movie was good for what it was. You know what I mean? It made me think about the first one. You know what I mean? It didn't really answer any questions to the first one, but it made me think about it. So it was pretty cool. You know, hey, well, look, well, you know, let's do this. Hey, the pride, everybody that's watching right now, y'all let us know. Give us thumbs up if y'all can dig coming to America too or thumbs down. You dig? So check it. So, but we mm. got, we got this show coming up with the yes. opioid crisis, right? Yeah. The only thing, cause normally we get books and stuff like that from our guests to read, to get pre-show hold on so wait little, no I, stop I, stop I'm a little bit upset with the doc because she didn't give me no no opioids to try out before jesus the christ you know what i mean like really look upset. shut up shut up shut up wait, uh, no 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 hold on hey hold on first of all ladies and gentlemen y'all give it up again for the dr turner okay Jesus Christ, and, and and her trying to get high on the air. Okay, that's not happening. But anyway, <laughs> welcome back, ma'am. Welcome back. How are you? 
Good. I did watch Coming to America. What you too. think? Uh, yeah, my husband and I, we watched it. It was, it was all right. It was all right. See, was, that's what I mean. I, I don't want right. to see. I, think, I if, thought the ending I, was pretty good, but it was, it was, it was a little bit too goofy. I felt like the storyline, it was a little predictable. Um, yeah, so it was, it was all right. It wouldn't, I wouldn't go back and rewatch it how I watched Coming to America number one. Yeah, it's and, kind of like a one time done. And, and you know what? And this is how I feel too. too. Maybe it's just me, but if you watch something thirty years ago. Right. And now you're watching it again, but you kind of watch people do what they was doing like 30 years ago. You're like, oh, OK, like, you know what it is now for them Thundercats that never seen it and never, you know, got that full feeling of yeah. part one. I can dig it. They probably think it's the best thing smoking. You feel me? But me, I'm like, OK, y'all can have it. But anyway, yeah, I digress. Cool. Yeah, I digress. So, ma'am, tell us about this. Oh, my goodness. So we're talking about the. Opioid, opioid, listen, I'm sounding silly. The opioid pandemic and how it's bringing down our community, right? Yeah. So, like, just give us the the background of it. Why is it that it's a thing now, quote unquote, even though it's been out, but it's like a thing now to focus on? Right. Um, so, me, my, my, my true opinion, I think... Um, you know, let's look at the history of, you know, of when we look at substance use in just in the country, you know, cocaine and, you know, now look fast forward, marijuana is legalized now. And that was a whole issue. Um, and I, I really believe that right now that this is a focus of attention and our, even our terminology is different. It's because, yes, it has moved into the white community and now it's it's, it's an issue. You know, their, their sons and daughters, their loved ones are dying now. Now is we have to do something about it. Um, and not just incarcerate. And I think, too, you know, we look at the history of this, just putting somebody in jail that doesn't help or solve the problem. Um, I would say, at least locally in St. Louis, one thing that really, really stood out is that that inequity, the disparity that you see between who's dying and who's still living. And, you know, the state of Missouri received millions of money back in 2016, 2021. We still see a wide gap of our black males dying at a higher rate. So why is that? You know, we got funding in the state of Missouri, but why we're still seeing our black males die at a higher rate, either is is dying or you put in jail. Um, so now I think we have more entertainment of this because yes, it has become a white issue too. So now let's put all these millions of dollars toward this um, to, to address it. Mm. Okay. So speaking on that, do you, do you feel like the millions of dollars is also reaching out to the black community to help help the black community with this issue as well? Um, in certain parts of the country. So, I mean, there are some areas in which um, they have some really good programs. Um, definitely there's a lot more work that needs to be done. Um, personal opinion. We look at, you know, St. Louis City. Let's look at North City, for example. Where's the nearest place if somebody actually want to go into recovery to seek treatment? Where's the nearest place? You know, it's about a good 15, 20, 30 minutes for you to be able to get to the nearest place to want to seek treatment. We only have one methadone clinic. Um, so I think there's so many systemic issues um, that we need to discuss. And then um, there was a study that came out. So out of all of the um, treatment centers and places that receive grant funds, um, what they show was that our black men. So let's say we got them into into care they dropped out at all different phases of care. So when they did an assessment at one month, you know, at six months and a year, they were showing that black men, you know, something happened that took place. They didn't remain in care compared to white people. So to me, what does that say? You know, some people have really strict discharge policies. You mean to tell me, you know, that because somebody have something in their system that you completely kicked them out the whole entire program. Like me, that's my biggest pet peeve. I don't think we need to be discharged, kicking people out who's trying to come for help. And I, and I, I typically see that sometimes there is no mercy for some people. Um, um, so, yeah, so it's, it's a lot, a lot of issues I think that need to be worked out. I think overall, I think we're doing, making some great momentum now because, you know, a lot of those disparities were talked about. Now we're getting more funds to address this and talk about the issues specifically in St. Louis City and St. Louis County. Hey, Doc, and staying on this topic, I know that, since 2016, according to uh, the Human Health Services website, they spent $9 billion, or they've invested $9 billion into these treatment facilities all across America. Yeah. Can, you, it, um, can you explain a little bit or talk about what this treatment consists of? Because I know we hear about it, but what is this Ooh, That's a good one. Yes, let's talk about treatment because it's different. So that's why I get excited about it. So I would say this. One thing in the medical community, and I, we, we've always known this, is just now is really coming out. 
um, substance use disorders, it's a chronic disease. So that's the way we're educating people now. You know, new doctors that's coming up, that's where we're really putting that message out. You treat this as a chronic disease. So the same way I treat somebody for diabetes or hypertension, that's the same way we want to start addressing substance use disorders. So how it used to be back in the day, of course, methadone was the one that everybody heard about. So there's a lot of stigma related to methadone. It's actually still a great treatment choice um, for some people. It definitely can still work well. But we used to start medications like as a last resort. Now in the state of Missouri, we implemented something. It's a low threshold model to start Suboxone or Subutex. So instead of going through all these lengthy assessments, you know, you try to do a detox style, don't use anything. What we know in the literature that if somebody actually, um, we, we place and we start, you know, Suboxone or, or Methadone, it actually helps to stabilize the withdrawals and even stabilize the cravings. And what I like to tell people about that, the reason why we look at this a chronic disease is because if somebody's actively using, what happens, you know, people are using so they don't feel dope sick. So that's why somebody, the cravings is driving it, the withdrawal symptoms, that's what's driving it. So what medications do, it helps to stabilize that. It also works to help your brain heal. So you put somebody who's withdrawing, you want them to go through 15 different screening tests. A, that person may not even come back. Two, they're not going to be in a, in, a, in a mental state to be able to answer all these questions, do all of these, jump through these loopholes. So what we find out, if we start people on medications at the beginning, then we allow time for their brain to heal. They We address their cravings, decrease that, or even eliminate it. Then we also decrease or eliminate their withdrawal symptoms. So for me, a lot of it's a lot of advocacy about, okay, we're going to approach this the same way we do with other chronic diseases um, so we can save lives. So that's something completely different. I don't like the word detox. I feel like it's another stigmatizing word. Um, I need to go detox. No, you don't. Um, and another thing, too, that's really exciting, um, you don't have to be shipped away. People always look at treatment. I have to go away for 30 to 45 days. I got to detox. No, you can actually start a primary care clinic, a treatment center. You can do outpatient treatment. You don't have to use that model of being sent away for 30 or 45 days. You can still stay in the comfort of your home with your loved ones to start treatment. Mm. You know what? Yeah. That's that's interesting because I would think that those individuals that want to get away, they want to get away from the temptation. They want to get away from that environment because sometimes it's those individuals that they're related to that's giving them the, right. the stuff, you know what I'm talking about? But look, it, and it could be, I mean, some people that may work for some people, mm -hmm. you know, I just have to get the message out. That's not the only way, oh, yeah. you know, for some people they want that, but a lot of people are not even aware of the change in treatment on the medical side. How do we approach that now? Mm -hmm. No, no, that makes sense. That makes sense. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, y'all chime in, right? And foots good looking out, brother. Listen, everybody, if y'all watching this, let us know where you are. Let us know that this word is getting out to you, right? We really, really do appreciate but we got to take a little pause for the calls like we normally do around this time. Ladies and gentlemen, we have to give a special shout out to Miss Tracy Brown. OK, here it is. Is your credit jacked up? If it is, this is who you need to call. Give Tracy Brown a call. Right. As a financial literacy coach and credit repair specialist, Tracy Brown teaches people the importance of personal finance and help them identify and dispute negative items on their uh, credit reports. All right. Her services allows individuals to leverage the Fair Credit Reporting Act to improve their overall credit score and credit history to position themselves for home ownership, lower interest rates, entrepreneurship and generational wealth. So if you need some help, Stop talking to people. That credit is worse than you. Them folks trying to tell you what to do. Talk to a professional. Give Tracy a call. Her number is 618-560-3687. One more time. Tracy Brown, 618-560-3687. All right. Give her a call now. But anyway, back to you, ma'am. So, yeah, I mean, I can dig it, you know, but I, I think that it's important. I think it's important that individuals know that the help is out there. But no, no, we, we just appreciate a you being on here and doing what you're doing and getting this word out. All right. Thank you. Doc, doc, question for you. For those that what that didn't listen to you last time we was on here, because we didn't really. What is your background when it comes to opioids? Just so people know who they're dealing with right now. Right, right. So um, really interesting. I actually, so I'm family medicine trained, um, and a lot of this wasn't even incorporated into my initial, like going to medical school. I got a little bit of exposure in residency. Um, it was really one patient, one of my uh, 
faculty um, or attending doctors who uh, a lady got admitted to the hospital. She was in active withdrawal. He took out time with me one-on-one to help me to understand the um, the the um, the physiology behind substance use and then how a lot of times we as medical professionals, we stigmatize people for that. And once I saw that this was something that was treatable, chronic disease, that's what got my attention. So I'm failing medicine. Um, I actually deliver babies. I take care of um Moms with substance use, mom without substance use, I take care of, you know, the entire family. So I took like the old school doctor. Um, but I really got passionate about this. The more I learned about this, especially the impact on the black community and even how I grew up, you know, how I had uncles who doing stuff, you know, I go to grandma's house, see stuff in the backyard, you know, and I was even like grew up in a way that I was stigmatized or biased behind somebody who used who's actively using drugs and when I learned about the history how it was rooted in racism the differences it's just kind of like somebody needs to start talking about this you know and with my practice when I started to incorporate that part into my practice and when I say substance use not just opioids but you know methamphetamine cocaine use um, uh, cigarette use you know alcohol use those are treatable conditions and a lot of people don't even know that treatment options could be available. So for me, that's where my passion came from. Um, and it was exciting to be able to talk to you about that and to provide that whole holistic, you know, care. I can take care of the hypertension, diabetes. By the way, you want to quit smoking, we can do that too. Mm, okay. Mm, yeah. Hey, Doc, while we're talking about the opioids, can we, we let's get into some terminology, right? So we talked about that there's a difference in behind scenes of opioids and opioid. And then I also want you to hit on the difference between the addiction tolerance dependence, like right. how they're all not the same, but sometimes we use them interchangeably. Right, right. And, yeah, and people do use all those um, interchangeably. So an uh, opiate is just an opioid in its natural form. So heroin, or morphine, codeine, um, opioids is an all-encompassing word that also include your semi-synthetics as well as your synthetics. So your synthetic or man-made opioids, um, that's your fentanyl. Um, that's a man-made one. Your semi-synthetic is like Norco. Um, so those are, so it's, it's a different scope of, of different opioids you deal with. Um, you do have oxycodone, prescription pain medicines. That's also, um, a man-made type opioid. So that's the difference with that. And you may hear people say opioid in general and tends to include opiates as well. Um, now when you talk about addiction, um, not everybody who uses an opioid is addicted. And when I mean that, not everybody that's prescribed Norco or Tramadol, um, mean that you're addicted to that particular um, um, prescription pain medicine. So an addiction come about is when you have an uncontrollable desire to continually use even despite negative consequences. So it's a set de definition that they have to describe addiction um, and not everybody fit that. So as I said, when some people are given a short course of opioids, that doesn't mean you're going to become addicted to that. Um, it does not say that at all. You have to have those other things into that, that go into that, that uncontrollable desire despite negative consequences to use. Um, for a lot of people, you know, having withdrawal symptoms. So if you've ever seen somebody withdraw from her, I mean, it's pretty intense. Uh, I tell people it's almost kind of like, you know, a really bad stomach bug to have stomach cramps, diarrhea, um, you know, skin flushing, blood pressure will go up, goosebumps, um, really, really uncomfortable anxiety. You know, they'll use a little bit more and, it, you know, it'll take take those symptoms away. So that's addiction. Um, now, when you want to talk about dependency, that does, that's not the same thing as, as addiction either. So dependency is more so your body um, physically, um, you know, there's some alter, uh, some alterations going on just with the receptors in your body, meaning that you're, you know, constantly using some, but you're not using to the point it's uncontrollable. You're having negative consequences. So that's the main difference between those two. Um, believe it or not, I actually don't really use the terms chemical dependency um, anymore. A lot of our terminology changed. So I'll say substance use disorder, um, you know, opioid use disorder, methamphetamine use disorder. Um, so that's alcohol use disorder. So that's what we're using on um, on the medical side, because believe it or not, those are all stigmatizing um, terms too. Addiction is fine too, but I don't, it's addiction medicine. I, I say that. Wow. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, I don't know if y'all getting this good old fashioned education, but I swear <laughs> I did not know. I just thought that every if you was addicted, that's it. You know, what I mean, if you can't put it down, you got the problem. Now you dependent and 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 all that. It, it's a it's a mess. It is a, totally a mess. But yeah. this is some great information. So, I guess and uh, like, what would you say to individuals that and and coming from my position and even individuals that's watching now that have military backgrounds we have 
so many uh, situations, physical uh, situations that cause us to receive pain medicine outside of uh, vitamin M, the Motrin, right? Because you can get in a car accident, lose an arm, they give you Motrin. But sometimes you will, they will prescribe, you know, control substance to help ease the pain, even for a, a uh, what is it? The wisdom tooth, right? They, they, they load you up with that. So how often do you see individuals or hear of individuals in the military that become addicted or become codependent yeah. on, on that right with those um i mean i don't take care of too many patients um people in the military um i guess i can speak to that from from two from one different standpoint you know so right now we were talking before the show um there was three different waves when it came to this opioid epidemic in in the early 2000s maybe like actually like late to, like late 2000s is when you really saw more prescription pain medicine um overdoses Right around that time, too, when we had laws that were implemented, like the PDMP, the Prescription Drug Monitoring Database, um, you had um, DEA, you know, tracking doctors who were overprescribing and, you know, a lot of the prescribing um, limits and hesitations. And so people, you know, and doctors immediately cut people off of chronic opioids. And so the next thing, people went to heroin. So right around 2013, 14, 15, you see a rise in heroin use in a community where people didn't build... Um, a tolerance with that. So then fentanyl came on, on, on the scene around 2015, 2016. Fentanyl is way, way more potent. But for some people, they think that if it's more potent, I can get a, a, a higher high. And that's actually not the case. So people think that when you, when you talk about that. So I would say right now, you know, fast forward, this issue that we have now is predominantly fentanyl that's accounting for the, um, the overdose deaths. If you would have asked me that question back early 2000s, you know, I'll be talking more about prescribing habits and things like that. So fast forward, it's more so what we're seeing on the streets. You're not really seeing too many people um, um, overdose and die from 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 chronic uh, um, prescription opioids right now. And it has to do too. a lot of us are more educated on it, you know, and I must say there were doctors that were over prescribing. Yes. But interestingly, if you really look at the data with that, um, when we talk about racism in medicine, blacks were actually less likely to be prescribed an opioid. So take this back. So a lot of times our chronic pain was underestimated. So we'll get the Tylenol, the ibuprofen, even if an opioid was indicated. So there are times where an opioid is indicated. But if you look at the data that we'll receive, Black's pain, our pain was underestimated. Um, there's this false sense that because our skin may be tougher, this come from the slavery mindset. Um, plenty of studies that came out that looked at when it came to somebody who was Black, in which it was an indication to get an opioid, less likely to receive it. So our pain, or we were more likely to be accused of drug seeking. So unfortunately, when you look at that picture, we have a mess here. So it was, it was a study that came out. It was actually a paper that came out. From the New York Times, it caused a lot of mess because they, they tried to say to the New York Times or I shouldn't even drop names like that. It was a paper <laughs> that came out. They tried to say that blacks were protected from the opioid epidemic because of that. So it was so much um, rebuttal that came from black physicians, black scientists, because, no, you cannot say we were protected from the opioid epidemic when we were less likely to get our pain treated, less likely, but more likely to be accused of drug seeking. So it was a whole thing that came out. They went back, they took up, took that paper back. So look at it like that as well. Like this was say, it's a mess when you really look at the heart of this. And that's why for me, I feel like it's, it's my goal to educate and teach because people don't know. You wouldn't know if y'all went to the emergency department and the doctor just told you, no, I'm not going to give you that. And it may be indicated. You may have broke your arm. And indicate for you to get a short course of opioids, and they'll tell you, no, you don't need it. Tylenol, not ibuprofen. That's that, that's fine. And you go home with pain, thinking, well, the doctor told me that. No, it's it's it's, it's pretty messed up. Don't tell me this. Don't tell me that. Bro. Don't tell me that. Bro, did, did it hit you, you too? Did I mean, it hit imagine, you? Imagine they tell you we kept you safe by letting you suffer. Do by, and, and then going back, my mind just said, I wonder, does it come from? how they viewed us and I, and, yeah. and but the fact that you said it just pissed me off the, that much more the, the way that she talked about drug seeking now you know i'm no i'm no medical professional right I, I feel like that's probably the majority of it they think that black people coming there is looking to get high just looking to get high you know like oh you know i got yeah. this hang now give a me some coke. In my yeah. shoulder, but you yeah. know right just get some yeah yeah, yeah. 
there's a lot that goes that goes into that. You know, before we was talking about the differences with the cocaine epidemic in the early '90s and the differences now, and I gave the example. You know, when our black moms had their babies, it was crack cocaine babies, or or the mothers were crackheads. You know, fast forward, now we're seeing substance use disorder, neonatal abstinence syndrome. You know, we have nice medical terms for this, but if you actually look at it too, look at how the media portrayed it. That's another big topic. Mm-hmm. The media portrayed, you saw crack, you know, crack tubes, you saw, you know, um, um, blacks in communities that was, you know, poverty stricken, ran down, dirty. Our perception of substance use was actually narrated and shaped by the media. Let's fast forward to the early 2015, 2016. What did we see? We saw the young white guy in the suburbs who was on opioids. Everyone felt sorry for them. Completely different. The narrative changed. If you look at that, compare those two, the narrative completely changed and the mm-hmm. media actually helped to shape that. You know, now we're seeing babies with neonatal abstinence syndrome. This is what we need to do. Give them, I mean, and it's true. If they start withdrawing, we give them morphine in the, in the NICU. We monitor them. But back then it was, you know, separated moms and babies. You didn't get that second chance. You were bad mom. I mean, it was, it was pretty intense, but the media played a really, really bad role in how they portray substance use in the black community and how it's being portrayed now when it comes to opioid use in the black and the white communities. I mean, a minister of society was really my introduction to that. You know what I'm saying? That portrayals when old boy said what he said to get, get, you know, crack. No, no. You what about, I mean? no, what about the, yo, when new Jack city, you remember when oh, Nino yeah, Brown Chris was Brown? like, Nino Brown was like, man, crack. And then you saw where everybody stayed at, and then they mm-hmm. started pumping it, and then, uh, you know what? Uh, yeah, you know what? Yeah, look, and that's how we portrayed ourselves with crack, man. You I, know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, I, I'm not, I'm not feeling this, y'all. I'm not feeling this topic. <laughs> no, I mean, right, I love it. Know, Don't like, get me wrong, I love it, but it hurts though. You did, because we help, we help do this to ourselves. I, damn, man. It does, you know it does. But you know what? I wouldn't say we did it to ourselves. I'm, I, I yeah, would say, I get what you're saying. This came, this came from with the majority, what they thought. So even if you go back to Nixon, when they did this war on drugs, all of that was rooted in racism. That's where a lot of this stuff started. You know, it was a comment that one of his closest said that, Mm -hmm. you know, that we're going to purposely place this into their communities. Like, come on, that started on a larger level. Then you had the media portraying this. We were watching TV, majority of people. So that's what that's what we saw. Those are the images that we saw. We fed ourselves. We talked to our kids like that. You know, so it came from things that was out of our control. This is what we were exposed to. And this is what we were made to believe that, you know, disregard there. Even the Just Say No campaign. I mean, that's horrible. Yeah. You know, you know when we went through the D.A.R.E. program, like, do you actually remember anything you learned from D.A.R.E.? You know, it, it, you know what? I remember it, the cop that came to the school. That's it. Hey, you know, I'm talking about. You remember that, and then you know the oh, and the egg. You know, what I'm talking about. But yeah. but, but, but yeah. the dare. Brain on drugs, yeah. Hey, oh, hold on, y'all. Look, we gotta take a minute. Um, damn, man. Yo, I wasn't expecting all this it, because w- what it does is yeah, we should have because we had the last couple weeks. I know it was dope the then. But, I know, but but what I'm saying is is that it, it just you know kind of open up. Oh shit, no, you don't. You know what I'm talking about because you you think about your childhood. You like yo, my uncle or my aunt could have got this help, but they saw it as a way to control. Look how we the, looked at him. Yeah, you, you something. Look anyway, we yeah. looked at him. yo, we looked at him as a as a problem. As a problem, ain't that? Yeah. A, yeah, and it was, you know, lock them up, lock them up. And, mm-hmm. you know, if we look now, you know, but even just look at for those black men or women who got, who are incarcerated because of marijuana use. Now, fast forward, we're legalizing yes, this. And, and, get, and, get, and, and getting bread. And brownies and cookies yep. now. Yeah. All right, y'all. You got people profiting stocks on this stuff. Like, come on. Like, that's, yeah, it was actually a video. Um, I have to send it to y'all afterwards that uh, I follow. I like the Drug Policy Alliance. They're like a great organization who advocate for this, um, their uh, director, Dr. Cassandra, I don't think she's a doctor, no, it's Cassandra, uh, but she's amazing if you heard her talk, but they have a short video by Jay-Z in which he's talking exactly about this issue with marijuana use, how before, you know, you want to incarcerate us, talk about us, but now, now since it's in the stock market, now it's making money. Like, he, it's a great little video, three-minute little you, video you, he put together. So, look, this is the deal, and, and I love Jay-Z, don't get me wrong, I really do, but let's be 100 Let's be 100. You know what? Look, we're going to come back, y'all. Look, because I'll take it off the deep end. But 
Yo, ladies and gentlemen, please stick around. We got to take a pause for the cause, y'all. We're talking about the opioid uh, pandemic and what this is doing to our community and ultimately, essentially, our culture, okay? So y'all don't go nowhere. This is a great conversation. Take time to share this, right? Take time to share this and, and, and tap a neighbor and say, neighbor, check out the lion's den right on. We will be right back. Mm-hmm. Monique Slater is a top negotiating, award-winning real estate agent in San Antonio, Texas. Her focus is on educating and empowering individuals on building generational wealth through home ownership while providing exceptional service with integrity and excellence. Although her heart is for serving first-time homeowners and the military community, her clientele ranges from $100,000 to $2.5 million. Monique has developed an awesome team that can get individuals into a home. Mention you heard this ad on the Lion's Den with Seth and get a $500 rebate from Monique at closing. After servicing in the Air Force for over 28 years, retired Chief Slater has a massive network so she can connect you with an awesome agent anywhere in the U.S. And your referral will get a special gift card from Monique. If you're in the San Antonio area or relocating there, give Monique a call first to help you find your dream home. Her number is 210-237-7268. One thing we can cherish during these times is family dinners. Think about it. The nice, succulent, southern fried chicken, baked beans cooked to perfection, creamy macaroni and cheese, cornbread. You get the point. Come check out Kevlar's Grill, where all the meals are cooked with perfection, professionalism, and love. Located outside the Scott Air Force Base back gate inside the VFW is where you can find them. Also, they have military discount for all of our serving members. Give them a call. Their number is 618-416-5700. And that's inside Scott VFW, post 4183. And they also have Grubhub. Call them now and tell them that the Lions Den sent you. Hey, what's going on, everybody? What's going on? Welcome back. Welcome back. Y'all, we're talking about the opioid pandemic, and um, we got the doctor on Dr. Turner. Hey, hey, hey. Welcome back, ma'am. Welcome back. And so, look, before we went to the break, uh, we talked a little bit about um, entertainers talking about the issues with the pandemic, and the doctor brought up the uh, uh, Jay-Z, and I love Jay-Z. Don't get me wrong. I, I really do. But I, I do understand that he, yo, in the 80s, he was part of that. You dig? So, I mean, he he made a profit too. You know, let, let's be real with it. And then you got individuals right now that still uh, celebrate that same thing. So it's, I don't know. I, I feel a way about that, but I get it. And I'm older now. You know what I'm saying? When you got kids and you're looking at things, you got a job, you got a career, you're like, yo, get out of here, crackhead, you know, or get out of here selling that that mess in my community. You know, this is my community now. This ain't my hood. So, but I get it. But <laughs> but go ahead, uh, uh, Larry, man. You got it, bro. Hey, yes, doctor. Just talking about this from an, uh, the our culture. You know, in the 90s, it was all about pushing the drug and the hip hop culture, right? And then now you fast forward 25, 30 years. Now it's about uh, using the drug. It's almost like we became, it's, it, it became popular to be a drug addict or a drug user. I don't want to say addict, but a drug user. Can you can you expand upon the whole lean, this whole lean thing, this culture, this coding drinking? Are you familiar with that? And can you educate what that stuff is and what like, you know is that part of the opioid crisis? Yeah, um, so you mean like when people using like the, the, the liquid coating to get, yeah. you know, coding to try to get drink. high. Lean, yeah. Coding drink. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think that's, I mean, that's all under the umbrella, you know, of active substance use. So, um, you know, so, so I would say it's like one thing, you know, I'm a part of a, a group of us that we're doing some things regarding harm reduction. It's, it's, it's a different perspective. Um, and we were talking about this before. So when it comes to somebody actively using drugs, we were always, we've been, the narrative have been, that's a dirty person or a thief, you know, don't deal with them or, you know, they don't care about themselves. And that's actually not the case. You know, the more and more I do this work and I actually, you know, form relationships and talk to people and know people, you know, that's not it. Some people are using 
just because they want to, they, they don't want to go into their drug sickness. So how can we keep those people alive too? You know, even before when I used to tell people that, you know, addressing substance use in the black community is always going to look different. It's not going to have the same approach and look the same way as we address it in the white community. So if our goal is to keep people alive and to keep them from, from dying, then how can we do that? And so for me, you know, I've learned, I'll be honest, I've learned to embrace somebody who's actively using drugs. So some things, you know, I don't let my patients call themselves addicts. I'll talk to them like that's a stigmatizing word. It makes you think that you are the problem and you're not the problem. It's not you, this is a chronic disease. You know, if you came and saw me in the office and you had diabetes, I wouldn't throw you under the bus because of, you know, you chose all that, the many years to eat unhealthy and it's your fault. That's not how we address it in medicine. You know, I connect you to the care. I We start insulin if we have to. We talk about eating healthy. We do that. And then when I, in my opinion, somebody who have a relapse will say, if you're, uh, if, you, if you have diabetes right around Thanksgiving and Christmas time, we don't kick people out because they have a relapse of unhealthy eating. So why would you kick somebody out because they have a relapse of actively using when it's a chronic disease. So it's changing that narrative, changing how does that look? And if you can if you're more accepting, because believe it or not, people who actually use, even within our own, our own culture, we've learned to stigmatize them, push them to the side. They ain't no good. Why? Why is that? Why do we have to treat somebody like that? And that's another part that I want to change because they, they do care about themselves. Mm-hmm. So, so going back to what you kind of alluded to, what do you think is the biggest difference between how the white community treats uh, drug users as opposed to the black community? What is the biggest difference in, in, the, in the responses? Um, so, who the biggest difference? That's like a low, that's, that's definitely a loaded question. I think my, my biggest thing, I think, is how the media portrayed it. We talked about that earlier. I think that's one of the biggest things, you know, um, that now it's a white issue. We did a completely revamping. It was, you know, we need to put this into medical education. We need to not say these certain words. We need to revisit our policies. And so I do think that once it became a predominantly white problem, then you started seeing people that wanted to change it. You know, once you started having, you know, executive sons and daughters um, with this too, now we, now we need to change this. We need to do something differently about it. Um, and and I, think, I think that's why we're seeing this difference right now. Now, I will say across the country, still in some predominantly black neighborhoods, you're still seeing a higher overdose death rate. Um, there is, there are things now about, I don't know how you all feel about this, but some places have safe youth centers. Um, believe it or not, I mean, they have syringe exchange. So we can talk about that as well. And people get so, they get so concerned when you talk about syringe exchange. Oh, that's enabling drug use. Like, no, it's not. I don't, I don't really, I don't like that word enabling. Um, if you look at the data with those places that do syringe exchange or that safe use, nobody's overdosing died um, with any of that. They actually connect people to care and treatment way more frequently than just a regular old somebody trying to find treatment. So there are some positive things behind it. And the thing is, how do you safely teach, teach somebody how to use? So at a safe use center, um, if a lot of places over country, um, they have those. Somebody will come in, um, they can actively use, um, it's monitored, you have nurses there. Um, you know, they'll do bring their own stuff, they'll use. If something happened with an overdose, you got immediate help right there at the scene. So it's a little bit different, but it's different for us because we, we still stigmatize substance use. With syringe exchange, we have a location here in St. Louis. Um, people get really concerned that that's going to bring a negative crowd or you're going to find people using behind and no, actually people really respect the place. They come in, they turn in their old needles, they get new ones. And it also cuts down on spreading of HIV, spreading of hepatitis C, hepatitis B. You have to think about those transmittable diseases as well that comes from people sharing things like this. And you coming in doing a syringe exchange while you're there, here, why don't you get some food? Um, Are you interested in treatment? If you're not, okay, here are some options, whatever you are. So those places have actually connected people to care um, by using a harm reduction model and meeting people where they are. I mean, with or without, they're going to use anyway. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, and and I, I can mean, dig that. Yeah. And, and that they makes sense. They're they going to do that. You're right. Yeah. And, and I think my issue is we have lost so many families to crack, right? So many families are broken apart. So many families. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, it, like there's someone in there right now from probably this much a crack for 30 years. You dig? So yep. I yep. feel 
almost slighted. Like, yo, now you're trying to help folks out. Now you want to give them a, a safe place. What was that safe place? Yeah. In the, you dig? So I feel it. And no shade towards individuals that that you know they they, they have these uh, heroin like phone booths. You dig where they can just go and you know hi boom get it in nod off and go about their business. But where was that? same energy that's all you know what i mean maybe it's just me i could be the only one to feel that way but i feel like really now right when when i first learned about this those were the same feelings i had like really you know back then like i had no idea about that no i agree with you those are very valid and appropriate and real feelings to have when it comes to this nope i agree with you definitely agree there's a place actually in illinois they have a i was on a conference call they actually give out um I think they call them drug kits or uh, like mm-hmm. safe use kits, yeah. something like that. And they actually have like um, a pipe in there. It has the, you know, all the paraphernalia you need, it has the alcohol swabs. And they did a presentation on them having that available to, and it was just predominantly black community they're serving. And they saved lives. So the overdose death rate actually went down. They were able to connect people to treatment. Um, so they use one thing and then they also decrease rates of HIV and hepatitis C as well. So, um, but I agree with you thinking about that. Why wasn't that those are options back then? The only options back then were either, well, pretty much Prison. be put in jail. You That's know, all I'm saying. Forced, forced into treatment. Yeah. So yeah, only, go ahead. Go ahead. Her. I feel like the only way, like what Camille was saying, how did we do it? I mean, you got to go back now that, now that we see things in a different light, go back and look at them people with drug charges and, and see how you can help them. You know what I'm saying? If they, if they, or, or sponge, right? So that's you know what, what I'm saying? saying. Do something like that. You yeah, see what I'm saying? Yeah, so yeah, if, yeah. if if we're now seeing this as yeah. a no they kidding, kill nobody, or yeah, something, you know right. Yeah. If, and and yeah. then if we're seeing this as a disease, wasn't that a disease too? That's all yeah. I'm saying. So like, there's individuals that still alive right now that you know from the 80s that was tripping. You dig? That can come on out. That's all I'm saying. Like, where's that same energy? But I don't know. Yeah. I mean, even the difference, you know, when we talk about the uh, crack cocaine, the rock compared to the the powder, you know, the sentencing was different. The rock, of course, 25, 30 years or longer um, for a little bit of of a rock compared to cocaine. I think it was like 100 grams compared to like five and the cocaine powder, five years sentencing compared to if you caught with a rock, you get 25 to 30 years. And the rock was predominantly found in black communities. So even with that, how the law was set up, if you were caught with rock, you automatically sentenced to 25 years. But somebody can have the same. This is the thing I trip off up. No matter how you do it, crack cocaine or, you know, the powder or the rock, the same amount of substance. The only thing was different. One was powder, one was rock. And the people who choose to, to do the rock, you had a risk of going to jail for 25 to 30 years. But if you use the powder, it's only five years. And the powder was predominantly found in rich white neighborhoods but just think about how that law was made i mean that was back in the 80s yep that's because them lawmakers was on that powder that's what it was (laughs) hey hey, look that was on that powder and then look they could afford it you dig but yeah hey dr turner sticking with this this safe house or safe whatever yeah for where they can use uh so is this place designed for like are they bringing their own drugs to this place or are yeah. they being supplied these yeah. drugs? No, they're bringing their own drugs, yeah. You bring your own drugs. Yeah. And the reason I ask this is because I, I understand, you know, having them a place to do it where they're not out in the streets and out, you know, somewhere where people can see it. But the other side of this is the folks that are addicted or hooked on this stuff, they're committing some really horrendous crimes to get their next fix. And I think that's where the stereotype and the stigma comes into place is when you see an addict, yeah. it's like, oh, man, look out for this dude or this gal. Because it's no telling what they're going to do to get that next fix, which is could include taking your life. Yeah, I mean, and, and I mean that that I, I have to acknowledge that 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 with that life that it, there is some some criminal part with it. You know, I, I can't completely discredit it, um, but I can also say you have some people who, you know, they'll get their five ten dollars and you know go and and, and not do anything um, a violent crime. In, in that nature. But with those, how those places are set up, you have to bring your own drugs, um, and your own supply in. Yeah. So, so I mean, I can't the, really. Are they educating them? Like, I, I, like I get it. You come in, you do your thing, you, you go through the motions, hopefully you wear it off and then you go about your business. But is there some other 
educational purposes while they're using yeah, they it. And, and, oh yeah. yeah, they do. So yeah, so it's not just yeah. So I would say in a lot of those places when they set up, um, they still have right educational. Um, if they want to, you know, they have access to if they want to go into a treatment center, start on treatment. That's definitely made available. Um, so it's not just you know if, if someone comes in they want to actively use. That's available, but then they also have additional resources or things available as well um, for people. That's how they're able to connect people um, to care if they decide to say, "Hey, you know what? I think I want to go ahead and, and go into treatment." Those locations are able; to, they're they're able to do that. And uh, so we got a question down there saying, uh, "Shout out to you, Miss Lily Wilson." Thank so, you. Yeah. So, yeah, how so are they funded? Yeah, so they're not actually, they're not houses. So these are actually, and believe it or not, these are actually not, they may have some low-key in the United States. Most of these are actually in other countries. So if you look at other countries, the United States, we have the highest overdose death rate. A lot of other countries have models just like this, um, and it's actually funded through their government or through um, independent agencies. So it's not, in the United States, you won't find anything um, I should say that's exactly like this, but it's actually, it's a large building. It's not like it's a house, you know, it's set up where you have stations, you have nurses there. Um, it's a whole system. So you walking in, it's not like, it's just, you know, a house, you go up to the corner. No, it's a whole thing. You would check in. Yes. Yeah, a whole thing, whole thing set up. So, with so it's just not a nice crack it's house is what it's right, saying. It's not, right, it's okay. Not, that's what just... No, it's an actual facility. It's an actual facility. Um, yeah, it's, it's an actual whole facility. You come in, they got a little separate place. It's, it's nothing how you're thinking, like, you know, crack house, house. Like a, a drug house. A trap, <laughs> trap house. That's it. No, it's, it's, it's nothing like that. Yeah, nothing like that. But it's, it's different because I don't think, you know, the country would ever get to maybe that point. But if you look at other countries and what they're doing, I mean, other countries are, are, are making leeway in this area and their people are not dying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Man. Yo, first, first shout out to Bill, man. He's, he's dropping some um, real good information in the chat. Shout out to you, brother. But back to this this safe house, right? What it sounds like to me is almost, yeah. almost like almost like the church model. You know what I'm saying? Just get the center through the door, and we're gonna do the rest. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Because you, you're saying, you're saying, oh, you know, yeah, yeah, because they got they 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 got people in there that's gonna talk to them about, hey, do you are you ready to quit? You know what I'm saying? Just we just trying to get you in the Listen, door. look, first of all, wait, no, hold, hold on, hold on, wait, wait, wait. Look, I'm gonna say it. The reason why he's using this analogy, because he this is the first time him going to church since the 80s anyway, right? <laughs> Today. <laughs> so, Today, man, I went to pray and my hands, hands got numb. I was like, is this how we do it? No, you, you know, know, hey, no, look, they started to go, they start like to they, they started to turn. <laughs> Start yeah, getting man, your fire. Yeah. That's I, what I happened. Your head started I, I smoking. I got accustomed to new things when you got a woman, man, that goes to church, man. I got to oh, yeah, be in church. I, that's good. That's really now, good. Now, now I'm in church over there. Lord, ever, hey. look at him, y'all. Listen, look, he college shirts, not going yeah. to church, seeing <laughs> Jesus. Hey, man, listen, get it together. Get it together. Hey, yeah. hey, hey, won't he do it? <laughs> so I thought, you know, I went to the safe house. You know what I mean? I yeah. came in the door and, yeah. and you know, but, but it's what it sounds actually, like. So the actual, I say, safe consumption sites. That's safe what they consumption site. Right, safe slash, consumption sites. Slash drug trap house. Slash trap house. It's okay. <laughs> it's all good. But no, hey, hey, regulate you know, Actually, Google it. If you want to learn more about it, you can Google Absolutely. it. You can see mm-hmm. that it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's positive. And the other thing, too, you know, when we, um, y'all know about Narcan? Y'all familiar with that, what that is? Mm-mm. Narcan. Oh, we gotta talk about Narcan. So, um, wait, is that is that the stuff that you know people can smell or they huffing? They they smelling? They and they they sniff the cans. But no, it's not a can. Mm-hmm. It's this. Well, look, I'm gonna edit that uh, out. Okay, I'm a lame. I'm a lame. Hey, hey, I don't do it no so more. Narcan. So, so I'm glad we're talking about this. I didn't know you. I didn't know about Narcan. So Narcan is a reversal agent to reverse an overdose. So it works really, really quickly. So one thing that I do with every um, prescription opioid that I write, whether it's you know oxycodone, Narcan, um, oxycodone, Narco. I make sure people get um, get Narcan, so it's a reversal agent. Uh, when I'm in the community working, you know, I make sure I give those out as well because that's actually what saved lives. So the other thing too in our community, I did a few focus groups, um, St. Louis City and St. Louis County, and what I heard from a lot of you know black active substance users, you know, to reverse the overdose, we've learned to create our own ways. I heard things from you know injecting your veins with salt water or using mustard up somebody nose amount to reverse the overdose or putting them in a bathtub of of, of cold water and ice. You know, so people have tried to learn how to respond to an overdose to save somebody's life. And so Narcan 
Um, there's three different type of modalities to use it, but the main one we use is it's almost like flow nays. If you ever use a nasal spray before, mm-hmm. um, you'll squirt it up the person's nose before the pandemic, so you can give you know give uh, um, CPR breaths to, to breathe for the person to keep them alive. But it actually works really really quickly, and what it does once you squirt up the nose, it immediately removes the opioid off the receptor in your brain and reverse the overdose. So that's another thing that's really important, making sure we um, um, have access to that to people in our communities. And so a lot of work was done, too, with passing out Narcan, teaching people how to use it because it's a life-saving medication. So look, like like in the bottom, uh, like Lily asked, is it like an uh, EpiPen? Um, it, it's, it, you don't inject it like an EpiPen, but the idea is like an EpiPen. If somebody's having an anaphylactic reaction, you will inject the EpiPen to reverse um, the anaphylaxis. Right. But this one, you can spread up the nose to reverse the overdose. So same concept, just is not anything to inject. They do have some injectable ones, um, the intramuscular, where you can draw it up and you can in- put it into the person arm. Um, but we use, we use that one as well as the one that you can spray in the nose to reverse the overdose. So, so somebody was at a cookout one day and somebody had an overdose. Some, somebody said, grab that mustard and put it up their nose. And, and Yeah, this was, this was actually. Was I'm trying to see how that happened. No, I know, no, I know. no. I didn't it, know either. Jesus he kept, he kept me to something because he, he was an older black guy. And he was, when I was talking to him about Narcan, pretty much I was, you know, talking to, to a group of, group of black people who were using, just trying to educate myself and also create some messaging that, you know, that resonated with. I didn't want to create whitewash type messaging. And he was telling me about back then, and even, I mean, he's still actively used. He's like, this is what we had to do. We had to learn how to survive. But, but, like, but you know what? Hey, but you know what, yeah. though? With that being said, though, and, and shout out to, hey, but, but look, with that being said, though, we have to remember, in the... Innovation. Look, when people want something, they go find some crazy ways to get it in. And if you like to use, you don't like you said earlier, you don't want to die from it. So you go drive. Hold on. Let me see. Let me grab this and see. Nope, that don't work. You know what I'm talking about? You go try to do something. So when individuals getting it in, I mean, I can see that. But yeah, at the barbecue, pass the mustard because I'm about to die. I don't know the mechanism behind how it works, but he told me, yeah, he was adamant that he said, they keep some mustard in the refrigerator. If that happened, they open the person's mouth, pour it down their mouth, and they nose. Wow. Who said it worked? <laughs> well, well, look, hey. Sure. I'm not, not going to knock an old 50 year old. Like, he, he, he knew what he was hey, talking about. Hey, look, hey, look. Hey, if he's still using and still around, sometimes, hey, he ain't the dumbest <laughs> thing. You know what I'm talking about? But yep. listen, we want to open up the lines, y'all. If y'all want to call in and, and and even just give her her roses, right, for help giving us this education. I feel like I, every time I talk to you, like, I, I didn't been to school, all right? I, I don't like school, but it's like I've been to school again. You know what I'm talking about? I'm learning so much. But we can take this information and help share it. Hopefully, individuals are doing that and willing to do that. You know what I'm talking about? But no, thank you. Seriously. Sure. Go ahead, Larry. Doctor Turner, I, I, I want to say kudos to you first off for going out in the community and having these conversations. Because if you don't get out in the front and learn these things, you'll never know if you're sitting in your office in the hospital or the clinic or wherever you work, right? So you're out there having these conversations. You're like, wait, wait a minute. We, you, you don't need to use the mustard. I got this for you. And they're like, oh, right. You know, they don't have that access. So that's that's like, I have to commend you because. You would never know that if you're not out there, is what I'm saying. You're not working from a laboratory. You're out there and you're getting this information up front and you're like passing it on. But where I want to go to is for us, because I'm I'm a, I, I'm telling you, I'm green when it comes to all these new drugs. I can't keep up. If I, unless I hear it in a rap song, I'll be like, what, what is that? I don't even know what the hell they're talking about nowadays. But can you talk about, I know fentanyl is the, 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 the big wave right now, but is there something we need to be on the lookout that's growing right now that's probably going to be the next wave to come that you can educate us on? I mean, so you still have, I mean, the fentanyl. Um, so, I mean, there's different, we call fentanyl analogs. People kind of get the basis fentanyl to kind of mix another stuff in there. Um, the next one, car fentanyl, is elephant tranquilizer. It's like 10,000 times more potent than um, morphine. So there are certain areas across the country in which you can see car fentanyl, uh, which is really, really potent. Matter of fact, do you all remember... Um, I think it was like a year or two ago, a club in East St. Louis. And I think it was like a stripper or somebody that overdosed. Anyways, it was carfentanil. Oh, um, what, it was only that takes a pink, little bit. Was yeah, that at it's, the pink it's slip? A, I think I heard about yeah, that. Yeah, I think it was like a few years ago. I don't, I don't remember which strip club it was, but I know it was in East St. Louis. Um, and it was, yeah, it, it was it was uh, carfentanil, which is the elephant tranquilizer. Why? Um, Why? Hold on. Why? Did some little last stripper decided to take elephant tranquilizer. <laughs> 
I, I don't, you know. I mean, I'm not. <laughs> but it's in, uh, it's in other parts of the country, so I can't really, you know. But the idea is people think that it's more potent, you know. And that's why I try to, more potent doesn't mean a stronger or a higher high. You know, you increase your risk of, of an overdose. And so um, that's where some, you know, some of the education come from. Now, I will say you see more um, people have beans or pies, you know, it's more so mixed. So you'll see cocaine. So cocaine is definitely on the rise again in the black community. In addition to opioids, I've also seen some meth um, as well. So a lot. So the stimulants are actually on the rise now. So that's your methamphetamine, your cocaine. Um, so you see that kind of going up to um, in addition to the, the opioids. So what about the age range? So again, so we got this question down here. Is there anything specific to teens or young adults? Like, you know, like what was that new party? Get the it vaping. in type of drug, you know yeah, what I'm saying? The, yeah. If they, with, they, with the vaping, with the e-cigarette, that's like nicotine yeah. and other harmful substances. Um, unfortunately, I mean, you see it across the board. I mean, 18 year olds, you know, here in St. Louis, you know, our peak was, you know, 35 to 55. That was the peak overdose deaths. But then, you know, we're seeing also with 20, you know, 20 year olds. I think the biggest thing, you know, um, like I, said, I, I don't like those fear motivated type talks when it comes to substance use. I think, you know, if you're going to talk to your child about this, like be upfront, like don't try to water this down. Don't try to, you know, make this all fearful because once they go to school or if they get exposed to it, you know, you, you want your, you want your child to know. It's like my daughter, I used to have her actually, when I was doing presentations or I used to have her go with me or either, you know, when I put my presence, my presentation together, I used it as an opportunity to talk to her, you know, let's have an actual conversation about this, you know? So if it comes up, you're going to know, you know, if you hear these terms on, on the playground. So for me, like that's my perspective, but it's the same way. I think just because um, I'm just a doctor, but even when it comes to sex, you know, when I talk to her about that, you know, I want her to be well-informed. I want her to be educated. I don't want anybody to slip her anything like, no, nah, you know, these are conversations I had with my mama, you know, and, and I like to keep that door open to talk to my daughter. Dope. Dope. All right. We'll wrap it on up. Herm, what you got? Say, Doc, again, uh, really want to appreciate you for coming in and talking to us. Uh, I'm not, you can, I knew Larry was old when he talked about lean because nobody, I don't think nobody's doing lean no more. But I'm, yes, just, I was like, lean. I was like, I was like, I was like you know what? I'm like, I can talk about Cody. I mean, they, they call it coding. It's still the same crap when it's all said done with the double red cups. Y'all know what's yeah. in it, right? So now, I almost threw on my 1990s big T and big jeans <laughs> on when I heard him say that. It's still the same effect. They yeah. just call it something totally different. Hey, but 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 on a real I'm 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 kinda I'm 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 just as lost as, as Larry when it comes to this. So this show really did open my I didn't even know what fitting was until you started mentioning and I would have never thought people was taking uh, elephant tranquilizers. You know what I'm saying? I was like, what happened to regular weed? You know what I mean? What oh is that? God. That's not cool no more. Yeah, I mean, you like, know what I mean? Like, like, are you trying to get like how high? high? What happened to puff uh, puff pass? Yeah, and, I mean, that used to be good enough. You know what I mean? But, is there such thing as <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> that thing dropped the elephant. I gotta get on that. I mean, I don't. You know what I'm saying? So, Doc. Thank you for all you're doing in the community. You know what I'm saying? Saving people from elephant tranquilizers. <laughs> really appreciate that. You know what I mean? Is that, Must- is that the only thing you heard this whole no, time? No, no, no. I know you could put mustard in your nose too and save somebody's life. And you know and you know where to how to usher people into a nice clean uh trap house. So it's good. <laughs> it's good. It's all good. I, you know, it's a- and then I call it church. He call it trap house. I call it church you know hey, what i mean but safe, hey. joy, safe consumption sites that's for anybody who uh just joined <laughs> hey church real, crack all, house all, same thing all, all jokes aside <laughs> i got the utmost respect for you you know what i mean because you took this as a, as a personal mission you you saw something that need correcting and instead of you know what i'm saying just feeding into the narrative you stepped in and you know what i'm saying to start changing the narrative we we've been so used to things in the past being said you know what i'm saying the wrong way and really not trying to help our own people. You know what I'm saying? So it's good to hear that now the narrative is changing and we're actually trying to bring them up instead of keeping them down. So thank you for what you're doing. Yes, ma'am. Yes. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. And ma'am, do you have any last message for, for our audience? No, no messages. I'm glad everyone listened to this. I think it's important information and, you know, let's just let's start with changing the narrative ourselves so we can stop calling people drug addicts, stop saying crack house, 
uh, crack cocaine babies. Let's change our language. <laughs> yes. And you know, and, and you're absolutely right, but it's unfortunate. Even what is it, 2021, people still getting hooked on crack. How does that happen? You dig? How? How? But whatever. Hey, teacher zone. But listen, shout out to you. Shout out to everyone that's watching and that have stuck around. We love y'all. Seriously. Oh, go ahead, Larry. What you got, brother? Yeah, yeah. Shout out to Will, because I know he was in the comments, even though he can't be on the show. Yes. You know, everybody knows he's deployed right now. But shout out to him. He connected us with the good old doctor, and we appreciate it. Yeah, thank you, Will. Thank you. Show. Yes. Yeah, so when we put running the comments, you know, yes. shout out to him. But like I said, I wanted to just go back and thank you for being out up front educating us like i'm telling you this means so much that you probably don't even realize and then later on down the, the line hopefully you you're getting some more to, to help take over with you like i just appreciate you what you bring thank you for the education and Absolutely. i hope you come back on here a third time like i need a part three now oh my goodness <laughs> hey so look yeah so with that being said though but ladies and gentlemen y'all make sure that y'all share this share this share this and stay connected you know what i mean and look if you know someone that's going through this situation right now tell them you love them anyway right on and so we're gonna leave it with that we will see y'all soon all right y'all be easy one we hope you enjoyed today's show Make sure to listen to the show on Google Podcasts, Spotify, Breaker, and Radio Public, where you can subscribe or via RSS so you'll never miss a show. While you're at it, if you like or dislike this episode, we'd appreciate your feedback on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash Lionscast. Check out the book, The Black Collar Mindset, The Art of Strategic Thinking, on Amazon or www.theblackcollarmindset.com, a manual to maneuver through life strategically by holding yourself accountable. Tune in next week for another episode of The Lion's Den with Seth.